Any of you like basketball? A few, right? Well, we'll get to that just in a few minutes. Elijah, can you hold on to this for me? We're going to talk about a basketball in a little while and see what lessons we can learn from it. But first, I'd like to follow up on our lesson from last week. Does anyone remember what our theme was last Sunday morning? Yes, Ben. To be honest in our dealings. Interesting choice of words. That's what we're actually going to talk about. The reason, the very thing he did. What's the word specifically we use? You remember, Ben? Honest is the correct idea, but it's not the specific word. Just. You're right. So why are we going to talk about just again? Well, I want to clarify some things. Um, I made a mistake last week. I confused two words, and I wanted to clarify something on how we use a dictionary. Um, I use two different words to talk about the word just. I use the word obsolete, and I use the word archaic. I blended them together as if they were the same, and they're not the same. They're different words. One means that it's obsolete, and one means that it's just archaic. They're different words. One means that it's old, and one means that it's not used anymore. Also, I don't want you to get the impression that I am in any way criticizing the dictionaries, because the dictionaries are actually reflecting the honest use of words. In fact, we just saw that illustrated this morning. Did you notice how Ben described what we talked about last week? I asked him, what did we talk about last week? And he said to be honest in our dealings. Was he correct? Yes, that is exactly what we talked about. But we didn't, he didn't use the word just. And much of our theme was using the word just in our covenant, the word is just. Ben, you demonstrated what the dictionary says, the literal fact that just is a biblical archaicism, meaning that it is a word that is predominantly used in theological discussions and does not spill over into modern language. This can get us into some trouble, and I'd like to tell you a little story about how it got, um, didn't get, get my mom into trouble one time, but um, she had to really have a, a refresh of her mind. Many years ago, my grandmother was a widow, and she was sued by some people. And my mom and dad sought to defend her because she was just. She was honest. She had done nothing wrong. And it went through this period of time of a lot of discussions, a lot of debates, all the money paying the attorneys trying to defend grandma. And it came to a point where the attorneys said, just settle. Pay them off, give them some money, make them go away. If you keep fighting this, it won't happen. And my mom said, that's not just. And the attorney looked at her and said, you're right. And this isn't a court of justice. It's a court of law. And you will have to fight and fight and fight, and you may never actually get what is just. And he demonstrated to my mother that my mother had one perspective in mind on the word just, and that's which is right before God, what is honest and true. And she realized 
and was corrected in that moment that that's not how things work. In fact, to, to build upon that lesson, let me read a few more definitions. Just considering here, just for a moment, this dictionary, the Oxford English Dictionary, is one of the only dictionaries, there was a few that hinted at it, but one of the only dictionaries that actually acknowledged this meaning, the biblical meaning of what is right before God. And I want to point out that this puts it as the very first definition. And if you know dictionary logic, that means it's the most, uh, I, I don't want to get too, I'm not a linguist, I'm not a dictionarian or whatever they call those people, but my impression is that it's, the, it's like the, the, the most important or the, the first, it, it's significant. It's the most significant. Correct me if I'm wrong out there if I'm not. But um, the first definition that they give here is just as that does what is morally right righteous, just before or with God, or simply just. Righteous in the sight of God, justified. And then it makes the note, now chiefly as a biblical archaicism, meaning that it's mostly used only by those people who are dealing with it in the theological, may I extend that to the moral realm. And so they identify it as a biblical archaicism. But then the definitions continue to keep on going here. And um, there's another definition that is given. And here it says, just as what is constituted by law or by equity, grounded on right, lawful right, that is such legally, legally valid. And then it notates that this is obsolete. Now, I'm not criticizing the dictionary because I think the dictionary is actually reflecting the reality. In fact, my own mom realized the reality of this because she thought this was about law being tied to what is morally right and just. And so, just to note, dictionaries help us and um, we need to be clear and accurate. I failed to be so last week, so I want to clarify it this week and help us to understand. And, and let me give you another thing. I don't know how to do this, and maybe I just need to let it go. But I think I'm going to start using the word just more often in its biblically archaic way. Maybe we can bring it back into normal usage, and it might be something that's real in our society. And maybe, maybe by the time I die, the OED will update it to be a common vernacular. I don't think I have enough influence to do that. But um, nonetheless, that's where it's at. And so I hope that helps us to recognize and to understand some things about a dictionary, the importance of words, and to understand how things change. And we have to be careful and understand that. So let us, in all the end of this, live justly. Let us live justly. Do that which is right before God in all of our dealings. And Ben, honest is a good word to use. To be honest in all of our dealings. Why? Because that is just. That is right before God. Would you take your Bibles with me now and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 has lots of wonderful truths for us. And it all ties down into one very important theological truth that I would like to illustrate using a basketball. 
Now, some of you said that you, I, I thought I heard some of you like basketball. Did I hear that? Any, any people who like, yeah, I like basketball? Any of you like really know how to dribble? Like cool dribble? Some cool dribble? Or any dribble? Okay, really know how to dribble. You know, go between the legs and all that fun stuff. Because, you know, here's what's funny. I'm not that great of a basketball person, and um, I'm a real klutz. Anybody want to just show off some, some, some moves? The kids are over here nominating Yusuf, Mr. Abnauer. Are you nominating your father? Are there any other nominations? Shall we vote on this? <laughs> you're nominating, you're not, who are you nominating? You're nominating Mr. Abnauer too. It's on you, Mr. Abnauer. Come on up here. Come on up here and, and show us some moves. Yeah, what does it need? It needs air. Did I deal justly with him? <laughs> Boy, what a fun ball flat this is. You think you could play a game with this? Like, I mean, he did actually. <laughs> he did pretty good. I mean, he did good for, for what, what this ball is right now. What does this ball, can this ball teach us? I don't know what this ball is made out of. Any of you um, basketball trivia people, what's a traditional basketball made out of? Is it like a football made out of pigskin? Is it made out of a skin traditionally? Yeah. Hmm. It's made out of flesh. Think you can, think, can you think of a spiritual analogy to that? What are we? Flesh. Or flesh with a ball. Well, I don't know what this is made out of, but traditionally made out of flesh. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up. Some of you out there are like me, and whenever you hear or see an analogy, you can pick it apart because analogies break down, don't they? So I'm going to give you a heads up. Our object lesson this morning, our ball lesson this morning is going to break down. It's going to break down. Mr. Barrows, help us with some trivia, or what do you have? He just preached the whole lesson in two sentences. He got it. I hope that this morning we all can get that. We are like a ball. We're but flesh. And a ball needs to be filled to be effective with air. We too need to be filled with air, which another word for air is spirit. And not any spirit, but the particular spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Because if our life is going to be effective, we have to be filled with the Spirit. 
So, are we filled with the Spirit? How we know is, does of our life bring forth what we've looked at before, the fruit of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There's no law against any of these things. These things are all just. They're right before God. In fact, they are the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God. And if these things come forth from flesh... It's not really coming forth from flesh because Galatians tells us that the works of the flesh are totally not like this. They're not just. They are evil and wicked. A few things about this ball, though. Let's come back to the basketball. <clears throat> By the way, I'm not a basketball person. It's because ever since I've been a little kid, I'm a little bit of a klutz. And so, but I'm actually kind of, after seeing this object lesson presented some time ago, kind of excited. I think I might want to learn basketball so I can actually go play with some guys. You know, those guys that play over here all the time. And go, hey, you want to know some lessons from the ball? <laughs> Maybe I should try to learn basketball just to teach some lessons from the ball. We see flesh. We see air, spirit. What else does this ball have that's really important? What else? No leaks. That's true. What would this ball be if I were to start using this on it? There'd be some serious problems, wouldn't there? Would it be an effective ball in an effective game? It's not now. Yeah, you're right. But it'd get a whole lot worse if I started punching holes in it, wouldn't it? You know what sin does to our life? Punches holes. It makes us leak. Truth of the matter is, every single one of us are born dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. We are disconnected from the life of God. Disconnected. So we need our holes sealed up. Now, some of you Bible students know where I'm going now, right? What word did I just use that's connected with the Holy Spirit of God? Ben? Sealed. What's that have to do with what the Holy Spirit of God He seals us. That's exactly what he does. He seals us, it says in the Bible, till the day of redemption. That is, at the day when this body is resurrected, this flesh is resurrected, the Holy Spirit seals us. And do you know what else he also does? He regenerates us. Now, I don't know if you can do a skin graph on a basketball. Probably... If I use this on this, the only solution would be to throw it away, right? Anybody tried? It's throw it away. Not so with us. When sin pokes holes in us, there's hope. Because God performs the impossible. And he can heal up 
every single wound. And he can put us back in and connect us with himself. It's as if he patches up all those holes and then he installs, I don't know, do they call this a valve or a seal or both? I, 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 it's a valve, but, but it's also a seal. And um, if we got a leaky seal, we got a problem. But let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit of God is not a leaky seal. He never leaks. He never leaks. If there are any leaks, it's on us. He doesn't leak. So each of us are people of flesh, and we need to be healed. How do we get healed? Well, one re- way, well, not one way, the only way we are healed is that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became one of us in flesh, and he allowed his flesh to be shredded and bruised and abused, and he gave his life for us. His stripes, his wounds, were what make it possible for our wounds to be healed. We need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, was buried and rose again, and when we believe in him, he heals us, he seals us, and no matter what happens, we're guaranteed to survive till that day of resurrection when no more holes can be punched. So the first thing we all need to do is recognize we've got holes. We're leaky. We're dead. We're empty. We're flat. We need life. We need healing. We need restoration. We need regeneration. And we need air. So when we believe on Jesus, the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He heals us. He seals us and guaranteed till the day of redemption. Do you see how the analogy breaks down? There ain't no way I can fix this ball if I punch holes in it. But with us, it's different. The impossible is possible because God is a God of miracles. So we need then to be filled in this life. I don't have time to go all into it, but I brought two pumps here today, and if we take all the time to do it, it'll be a problem. Last night, I went out in the garage, and I grabbed this pump. They were sitting right next to each other. Well, this one wasn't actually put away, but that's where they're supposed to be next to each other. But I grabbed this one, and I think this is the reason why this one was still put away and this one wasn't. Have any ideas why? Because this one don't work, and this one does. I didn't know that when I grabbed it last night, and um, I was testing my, my experiment for today, and thank goodness I did. Because if I hadn't, I would have been trying to use a broken pump to illustrate all this point. And that wouldn't have illustrated the point because the Holy Spirit ain't broken. He's not broken. You try to use this pump, if we had time, I wanted to give it to somebody and just say, pump up the ball. Oh my, the frustrations you would have trying to pump up this ball with this pump. This pump is leaky. It's got issues. It'll do it. It won't do it completely, and it'll be really frustrating. And I thought, boy, there's another object lesson. How do we pump up our lives? Hmm. Well, right there is the failed problem. 
we don't pump up our lives. When we try to pump up our lives, maybe I should do it. I mean, you'll just keep going and going and going and going. See, it sounds like it works, but I'm going to let you know. As soon as it gets any pressure going this way, it don't work anymore. And, and you do this, and you do this, and it's just frustrating and frustrating and frustrating and frustrating. And some of us, note I use the word us, me included, try to pump up our lives with false air. And you know what it does? It frustrates us, and it frustrates us, and it frustrates us, and it doesn't result in this. It doesn't result in the fruits of the Spirit. It results in the works of the flesh. And what happens when we get frustrated? We get full of hot air. Now, I don't know what happens if you pump a basketball up with full of hot air, but when we get full of hot air, we blow up, which is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. How are we pumping ourselves up? You know, there's a false pseudo-Christianity. It's just a thing kind of going through the works, a kind of something we kind of just make up, or self-discipline, or religion, or um, self-righteousness, or by trying to, note the word trying, trying to whatever. That will result in frustration because it frustrates the gospel of God our Savior. Because the real thing we need to be filled with is the Spirit of God. And really, it's not that complicated. It's us letting Him fill us. We don't pump ourselves up. What it is, is an obedience to God to let him fill us. We're involved. We're involved. You know how I know we're involved? I'm not, I'm not going to give you the answer. I want you to see if you can find it. So get your Bibles out. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5. And look with me, excuse me, at Ephesians 5, 18. And you help me. You tell me if you can tell why I say that we are involved. It's a grammar lesson. Yeah, did you hear what he said? It is a command. It's an imperative for all you grammarians. The assumed subject is you. You be filled with the Holy Spirit. You be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means you have to let him fill you. That's what it means. You have to let him fill you. He will fill you. He's, he feel, he's, he's, he's healed all your wounds. He's healed all, those, all of those wounds caused by sin. He sealed you to the day of redemption, and he wants to fill you. 
will you let them? Boy, that was a joy to fill. Last night I did that probably a hundred times and I didn't get it even nearly this full. Oh, did you see that? This ball is now effective for a game. Brothers and sisters, we are not effective for life unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Will we let him fill us? Will we let him fill us? Turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We have Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Both deal with the Spirit. Remember, Spirit is another word that's translated as air. I wonder... Before I, I dive into this, if you can help me find what we can learn from 1 Thessalonians 5 as relating to our lesson this morning, can you quickly read through this chapter? I'll just help you here. Um, start, start in... Um, In verse 16, read there's verse 16 through verse Did you find anything? There's some short verses in there, aren't there? One of those short little verses is what we're looking for. What's it say? You want to just shout it out? Quench not the spirit. Well, what's that mean? But do you see this ball? Do you see the pump? God wants to fill us with his spirit. And we have a choice to obey and be filled or to quench. You know what that is? No, thank you. We just don't say it quite so politely. Sometimes, this is what's tragic, we don't even say it. We don't even acknowledge Jesus standing at the door knocking, saying, let me come in. Let me come in. We don't even hear him. That's quenching him. That's stopping, kinking the source of life. You know what does that? 
lots of things, but the root, brute thing, pride. We say, we don't need you. I'm good. And in every sin, they quench him. They don't allow him to come in and to fill us and to have fellowship with us like he wants to have. So this morning I plead with myself, I plead with you, let us be filled with the Spirit. Let's not quench him. Let us rejoice in the fact that we are sealed by him, that he has healed us. In fact, it really keeps on going on here because there's another parallel in these verses I had you read. Did you catch another parallel? The most significant, you got it, verse 19, quench not the spirit. But there's another one. Not quite as obvious. It's parallel to the idea of being sealed. Anybody find it? Call it out when you see it. Hmm? Holding fast. We could go on with that one, yes. We need to hold fast in our life. Another one that has to do with what are we sealed unto? What is the prayer that Paul prays here? Find it? That they be sanctified wholly. You see that in verse 23? The prayer is that the very God of peace sanctify you. That's you, and that's me. Sanctify us wholly. And he prays, I pray, God, your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And who will do this? Verse 24. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. He's called you. He wants to fill you. When we let him, he will fill us because he's faithful. He will sanctify us and set us apart completely. We're sealed to that day of redemption, and in the meantime, the Holy Spirit continues to set us apart when we let him. Change us from glory to glory to be more like Jesus Christ in the day of the resurrection. Here, the day of Jesus Christ when some of us will be resurrected. What a day that will be. So how do we get filled with the Spirit? Well, the basic, basic thing is is that unless we get the holes fixed, and unless we get the seal, we can't be filled. Are you a Christian? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he died for your sins, was buried and rose again. He will fix your holes. He will install that seal, that valve, allowing you to be filled by him, connecting you to the source of life. Because without him, you don't have it the source of life. Believe on him, trust him, he'll heal you, he will seal you, and he will then be able to fill you. He's always there when you believe on him. 
but you're not always filled with Him. You're always sealed by Him, but you're not always filled with Him. It's a choice you have to make to let Him fill you. It's a choice you have to make to not quench Him. And how is that done? The most basic, simple answer is just let Him. Put it in another term, surrender. So often, we're quenching because we're fighting for what? Emptiness? It sounds ludicrous, but I wake up sometimes and find myself fighting for emptiness. How stupid am I? When we all, it sounds stupid, but how often do we persist in it? We want to be filled. Let them fill us. Sin still meddles with us. Sin still gets in the way. Sin breaks the fellowship. So let's remember 1 John 1, 9. That's why we want to teach our children it from the young, young age. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We got a trickery one who wants to make us do this to ourselves. We just do it from the inside out. We act sometimes like it's from the outside in, but it's generally from the inside out. Where well, we are punching the holes as we disobey our God, confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So he, because he wants to fill us, he wants to come in and fill us. You know, one way we know we're not full, we're empty, is when these aren't in our life. What's interesting is this bottom one here. This one, most of us interpret it for emptiness, but it actually is not. It's one of the most intriguing of them all. How does the Holy Spirit bring forth peace and long-suffering at the same time? <laughs> Only He can do it. Do we let Him? This afternoon, I'm going to share some things we learned. Evelyn and I went to a marriage conference a few weeks back, and we're going to share some of those things we learned. And I learned this object lesson at that conference. One of the speakers used this object lesson. Now, in that case, he had an audience of how many people? 500? It was funny. It was a couples conference, marriage retreat, and there was an odd number of attendees. That was the joke. I don't know why. But there was an odd number. How can you have a couples conference with an odd number? Some of you don't get it. Think about it. You'll get it. <clears throat> I didn't get it right away either. Everybody laughed, and I'm like, what's so funny? And then my wife says, it's an odd number. Um, but this illustration was used. And it was only used, it was an illustration given. It was only given for about three minutes. It was a three-minute little lesson in the middle of an extended lesson. But in that crowd of over 500 people, there were a lot of people there. And when he asked if anybody was into basketball, oh, he had hands go up. And um, he picked out this guy. And he came up, and he looked like a basketball player. He was tall. In fact, when he got up there, the speaker looked at him and said, man, you got the kicks and threads of a basketball player. Some of you don't even have a clue what I'm saying. The shoes and the pants that a basketball player would have. And it was. It was as if the guy came right off the basketball court. So he handed this guy this flat ball, and he kind of did what Mr. Abnauer did. You knew this ball was flat as soon as you got it, didn't you? 
Yeah, he could feel it. Well, he had that flat ball, and he was, he was a semi-professional basketball player. And here he is on this stage in front of everybody, and he gets up there, and he starts dribbling that ball, and you would have thought it was full. He just went dribbling away with it. He was so good and had such power over that ball that he was, he was just going at it. And the speaker was totally let down. His object lesson went flat because it was as if the ball were full. This guy was so good at that ball, he played it. And so the speaker had to kind of back up and go, well, he wasn't supposed to be able to do that. But he did anyway. And it was kind of funny because the guy had no clue where he was going and what he was going to do with this and that it was even hardly an object lesson. He was just going to show off. And he did. He showed off. And he did all these moves, and it was, like, amazing. And then we all find out the ball's flat. And then it's even more amazing that he was doing all of this. And then the speaker went on and made the point that we all need the Spirit of God if we're going to play the life of marriage. We're going to be in the game of marriage, which isn't a game, but if we're going to be in marriage, we need the Spirit of God. Much of the point of that message was for us to pray, help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, is a good principle in all of this. Help me, Holy Spirit. They never talked on this, but you know what stood out to me in that object lesson? I love the object lesson. But the object lesson of the fact that the dude could dribble it flat. Any ideas why that stood out to me? The reason is because I am a cultural Christian. What's that mean? My parents raised me from the womb to know Jesus, to love God, to do justly, to do right. And do you know what I find myself doing? Playing the game of life with a flat ball. And I can do it good, like that dude dribbling the ball. He was showing off. He could do it. Didn't matter the ball was flat. He showed off his moves. And the Holy Spirit in that moment pricked me, even though the preacher said nothing, and said, that's what you do. You know the moves, and you play the game, and you look good, but you're flat. You're empty. You need me. By God's grace, I won't keep playing the game with flat ball and empty. I'm going to pray more. Fill me, Holy Spirit. I'm empty. I need you. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my ministry. I need you in my parenting. I need you in everything. 
Think of marriage. I grew up in a home, it wasn't perfect, but I was taught principles of marriage. Can I be blunt? I didn't learn anything new in the whole conference. Do I say that boastfully? No, I say that thankfully. Thankfully. Because as a child, I was taught truth of what marriage is. I understood it. Doesn't mean that I live it. Doesn't mean that it's part of me. But I knew it. I know the Christian life. We know. Do we live it in our own strength as empty flesh? Or do we live by the power of God? I want to live by the power of God. I don't want to be empty anymore. I want to be full. And not full of hot air. And not full of myself. You see, we got some illustrations and flowing lingos in our language that are right tied to this spiritually. Ever met somebody full of himself? I don't want to be full of myself. I want to be full of the Spirit. And I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit too. Each of you be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Help us, Holy Spirit. Empty us of ourselves and fill us with yourself. Forgive us for quenching you. Rebuke us if we don't see it. Knock a little louder. May we hear your knock and let you in. Help us, Holy Spirit. Change each one of us to be more like you. Change us from glory to glory as we behold you, Lord Jesus. May we choose to each day behold you. Turn from the distractions turn from the lusts, turn from the passions, the things of this world, and turn to you. Dear Spirit of God, we know a lot, but do we experience what we know? Change us. Change us, change us. Conform us into the image of your Son. Lord Jesus, dear Spirit of God, Heavenly Father, I give thanks to you this day for what you have done for me. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to die for me. I'm a mess, but while a sinner, you loved me, and Jesus, you died for me. I thank you for that today. I thank you that you've healed me, that you've sealed me, and I desire to be filled moment by moment by you.
I pray this morning for those here this morning who have not believed, who have not received you as their Savior. Today, would they believe, be healed, be sealed, be saved, receive life? Help us as moms and dads to set forth before our children testimonies of truth that you might be glorified. We need you. Help us, Holy Spirit.